Toronto Blue Jays pitcher Bridget Carlton is here. We'll talk a little baseball, mostly basketball. Locked on women's basketball starts now. Ogumba Wallet for the win. You are locked on women's basketball. Your daily podcast on women's basketball. Well, hi, everyone, and welcome to Lockdown Women's Basketball. I'm your host, Howard Magdal, thanking you for making us your first listen every day. I'm so proud of the growth we had. We had over 100,000 listeners on the podcast in April alone, and we beat it in May. All of you coming together to support this work means a lot to me. And it's not just to me, but it's to everyone who puts together this podcast over at the next, we have over 100 reported pieces every month, a beat reporter in all 12 WNBA markets covering women's basketball everywhere, past, present, and future. Go to thenetshoops.com. Check out this incredible work that my group is doing over there. And we actually had two people who made the trip over the border into Canada, where the very first WNBA game was played. And... Bridget Carlton, who was there, maybe you can speak to this. If you hadn't been part of the game, there would have been riots, right? It would have been a scene. Um, I think if there wasn't a Canadian in the game, uh, the Canadian fans would have been a little disappointed. But um, I'm glad. I'm really lucky I was a part of it. It was a really beautiful thing to see from afar, getting the opportunity for people to celebrate the game. You know, I, I and we've all experienced this, right? You know, that there are places in this country. There are places throughout the world where the growth of women's basketball is lagging behind. And so to see a sold out arena, to see the way Toronto came together for it, uh, you know, leave aside the ramifications. We'll talk a little bit about that, about just like what it means, but just like that moment for you, just take me through how that felt to kind of savor a sold out arena. Yeah, it was incredible. I mean, the arena selling out in 15 minutes. Um, luckily, all my family and friends got tickets um, in time. Um, but yeah, I think it just speaks to the excitement around basketball in Canada and specifically the Toronto area. Um, that area has been growing um, basketball fans for a long time. Obviously, credit to the Raptors and their success and you know winning a championship a few years ago. Um, but there's like a culture around basketball in Toronto right now. Um, that a lot of people are wanting to be a part of. And that was evident um, at the game, the WNBA game in Toronto. And it was a lot, a lot of fun to be a part of. You told our Isabel Rodriguez that you were still kind of processing what it all felt like at the time. What have been the things, what have been the moments that have stuck with you that'll pop into your head over the weeks since that happened, you know, back in, uh, in mid-May? Honestly, the one thing that sticks out to me that I will remember, um, it was the day before the game and me and my teammates were just walking um, toward the CN Tower to take a team photo. And so there's a Blue Jays game going on. Um, the game wasn't until t- our game wasn't until tomorrow. And fans just started clapping for us. They had Blue Jays jerseys on. They didn't even look like basketball fans, but they just started clapping for us. They recognized that we were, the, we were all wearing the same clothes. So we're easy to pick out, but um, just started clapping for us and cheering for us. And that you could tell they were just excited for us to be in Toronto. Um, for women's basketball to be in Toronto. And that's just like one of those moments that sticks out because it wasn't at the game. It wasn't for the game. It wasn't, it was just kind of random. Um, and it was really special. And all my teammates said the same thing. There's just sort of a growing recognition of basketball. It feels 
like it has to be partially the fact that the Canadian basketball team is so good that you guys are on the rise. Do you think that plays a part too? And not just, you know, sure. The Raptors winning it all resonates in Toronto, but just making that connection, not just to basketball, but to women's basketball specifically. Yeah, for sure. Our national team has been on the rise for a number of years now. We finished fourth at the world cup, which was our best ranking in, in a while. Um, and, you know, we're doing a really good job, our national program, of getting out into the community and helping grow our game. We have kind of new ownership. It's a federation, so it's not really ownership, but new people in charge that are putting us out um, into the community um, and growing our fan base. And I think people are excited about that. We're on TV in Canada when we're at big tournaments, things like that. Um, people are excited about us, which I can feel kind of growing through the program. Um, and now we're at a time where, you know, people are really investing in us. So definitely a huge credit to our national program for kind of putting us in positions to be successful and help grow the game. And hopefully we continue to do that and get on the podium here soon. And then obviously when it comes to that kind of growth, the moments, they're fun, but they're a little more than that. You, you get to throw out the first pitch at a Blue Jays game. It feels like a significant number of WNBA players are getting to throw out first pitches, which is a really nice to, uh, nice thing to see, whether it's Jordan Horston in Seattle or a Diamond to Shields did it down before a Texas Rangers game. You shared on Twitter that your mom was uh, providing, like, throwing fails, first pitch fails. Was there one that really stood out to you as, like, this is a particular, like, what not to do? No, I didn't. I couldn't watch it. I said, Mom, I'm not watching this. Not before the game. <laughs> That's, of course, so my family to, to do something like that, to crack a joke about it. But they were really excited for me. And um, they were proud that I didn't do horribly and, you know, become a highlight. So, um, yeah, it was a lot of fun. Are you, are you a baseball person or was this something that you kind of had to pick up on the fly? Uh, my family is. They watch some MLB. I'm not a huge mm -hmm. baseball person, but my dad taught me to throw baseball back when I was a kid. So um, it wasn't totally new territory for me, and I'm glad the catcher caught it. So that's all that matters to me. <laughs> that is that is the standard. You absolutely you more than met. You exceeded the standard. I cover baseball too, so I, I'm happy to vouch for it uh, on two fronts. Thanks. So we talk about the bigger picture thing, right? And you know, yeah, there's this, it seems like there's this groundswell for expansion and, and we need expansion to come to the WNBA for a lot of reasons, but specific to Toronto, it's hard for me to fathom, you know, when there's this disconnect, there's this idea, there's a sold out arena. We're hearing from the league, people saying things like, you know, well, there needs to be ownership and there does, there needs to be ownership, but people have eyes and ears and you can see a sold out arena and people didn't get in for free. You know, people were paying money for that. And so I guess the question I have for you is like your big picture sense of the Canadian scene and specifically a moment like that. Doesn't it seem as if, you know, there's been proof positive that there is financial support that an owner should want to buy in here, not because it's the right thing to do, although it is, but because there's money to be made too, right? Absolutely. Um, and I think all the merchandise at the game sold out before halftime. Um, some people, some family and friends went to go buy some things and everything was sold out. So like you said, it's, we've just proven, you know, that Toronto would be an amazing market. Um, the interest is there. The fans are there. The investment is there. Obviously, you know, there are certain steps that need to be taken to, to get to that point, but I think people worry about, you know, traveling, obviously it's going to another country. Um, but I think 
that game was kind of a trial run and it was a pretty smooth process. Obviously there's customs and another step you kind of have to go through, but um, mm -hmm. it was a smooth process. And, you know, I don't see why Toronto would not be a good market. Um, clearly um, it was a successful event. Um, and there's a lot, a lot of people excited about basketball and women's basketball in Canada right now. I'm just spitballing, but you know, you could take expansion fees from a Toronto team and you could use that for charter flights that would make travel easier. You know, I, I you know, just an idea. Yeah, there you go. People are welcome to use it or not. You know, we'll just we'll just put it out there. And so I I guess the the bottom line here though is that for that overall experience for you, for friends, for family, do you think that Toronto itself came to a different place about women's basketball because of it? Or do you think this was just a manifestation of just where women's basketball is in Toronto? You know, do you think the game itself moved the ball forward, I guess? I think it's been there. Um, I think it's all kind of built up to this point. Um, I feel the energy from Canada and Toronto specifically um, because, you know, that's part of my life, training in Toronto, playing for a national team. Um, so I knew, I've known, you know, how passionate people are about basketball and women's basketball. And people want to be able to see it. People want to be able to access it. And it's hard as Canadians to access. Obviously, you know, the coverage is getting better and it's easier to watch on TV now. Um, but when I was growing up, I didn't have any access to it. Um, so now, obviously, that has continued to improve. But to have it in our backyard, to be able to, like, walk, walk around the corner and go to a game, like the kids in Toronto were able to do that weekend, um, that just adds another level to it. And I was really, really happy to be a part of that and to bring that to Toronto. Um, so I saw both sides of it. Obviously, the Canadians were super excited to see the WNBA, and I'm glad that the WNBA got to see the Canadian side of things, too. So it was, like, two of my worlds combining, which was really cool. You are bringing worlds together, Bridget Carlton. Yeah. Well, thank, thank, thank you for that. We're going to talk more about both your overseas season and what's been going on here in the WNBA uh, in segment two. First, we're going to talk to the people at home about FanDuel to let you know that right now, new customers can get a no-sweat first bet of up to $2,500. That's $2,500 back in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Uh, FanDuel, you can either do it online by going to fanduel.com slash locked on. That's fanduel.com slash L O C K E D O N, or download the app and use the code locked on to get a no sweat first bet of up to $2,500. That's fanduel.com slash locked on. FanDuel, official sports betting partner of the NBA. So we'll get to Minnesota, and obviously it's it's not the start that you're looking for as a team. And, you know, I, I think it's really interesting your role and the role that you're going to play in helping this team figure out who they are, because there's a lot of positives out of it and there's a long season to go, but I would be remiss not to just talk about the season you had uh, for Avenida. I, you know, I, and I knew you had a great season and you know, follow you on the socials and I follow them and I see, I see the highlights, but I'm just going over the, the stats to get ready for this. You shot 52.4% from three. That is a mind boggling number to me. Take me through what you as a basketball player did to get to that level of proficiency. You've always been an excellent shooter. This is next level even for you. Yeah, yeah, 53 is a little crazy and definitely um, a high standard for myself. But um, yeah, I mean, I was put in a really good situation. Going overseas is always hard because you don't really know what you're getting yourself into. But um, I know a lot of 
American players that have played for Avenida before and they really enjoyed it. Um, so I took a chance. Um, my agent got me a good good gig um, playing in EuroLeague for the first time, which is a really cool experience for me. Um, and yeah, my coaches just put me in good positions. Um, obviously, my shot was feeling feeling good. Um, I think I, you know, changed how I view a good shot for myself. Um, I can be a little bit more contested now and I can still, you know, get my shot off and be, be comfortable getting my shot off. Um, that changed for me this year. I think the World Cup kind of helped with that too. Um, but yeah, I think it was a really big growing year. Um, I felt confident. I was excited about my role on the team and, you know, playing against the best players in Europe. Um, so yeah, I was excited to bring that into this WNBA season. The, anytime you talk to your coaches, the question is always, how do we get her to be shooting more, to be a more willing shooter that you are a selfless player on a day-to-day basis. So you described that you did that. I just always wonder how, what was it? What was it a mindset that changed? Are you watching film to get to that point? Um, You know, it's obviously working for you. I just wonder, you know, what do you do to get to that point, uh, you know, mentally? Yeah, it's a combination of a lot of things. Um, Experience, um, you know, playing. I think the World Cup for me was a really big step. Um, You know, our team was successful. We made it to the semifinals, um, lost against the United States in the semis, and then a tough one against Australia, uh, in Australia, in the bronze medal game. But um, I gained a lot of confidence from that experience, um, playing against, you know, the best players in the world for their countries, Um, knowing how I can get to my spots, um, what my spots are. I'm a pretty versatile player, so I can do a little bit of everything. And sometimes um, I always want to make the right play, you know, whether that is getting to the rim, whether that is facilitating, getting to my pull-up, getting to my three. But um, I found comfort in my pull-up. I found comfort in my three-point shot. Those things will always be there for me. Um, and how do I get to those those spots when I need to get to them, um, if I need to be super aggressive in, a, in any moment? Um, so I think I kind of figured out that against professionals um, at this level. Obviously, you know, I did that in college, but it's a whole new world in the professional level. Um, so I gained that confidence at the World Cup. My coach is amazing. He has all the confidence in the world in me. He wants me to shoot 25 times a game if I could. I'm like, 25 is a lot, Victor, but um, I'll try to see what I can do. Um, and then I just carried that over into Spain. Um, and again, a really good environment. I played with a lot of great players. Silvia Dominguez, one of the great point guards in Spain. Maite Cazorla, who's my age, going to be one of the best point guards in Europe. Um, the next few years. So um, they put me in great positions and I learned a lot um, about the European game and just felt comfortable um, being there. So it was a really great environment for me. And again, the confidence in the World Cup and bringing that over to Spain was kind of a combination of everything. It makes a lot of sense. And and I would be remiss not to point this out because I'm, we're talking about the rise of the Canadian national team. And, and, and yeah, fourth place captures it a little bit, right? Because that's the best that you guys had done at the World Cup. But it did not seem from the outside that this was a different universe when you're playing against Australia, when you're playing against the United States, that you guys are right there. And I just I wonder internally, do you feel that way too? Do you feel like meddling in a major international competition is right there for the taking? Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's hard because our country is one of the few countries that doesn't have a domestic league. And I think right. that's where we kind of fall short. Um, all our players, excuse me, are playing all around the world um, during the winter months. Um, and then usually just our national team during the summer. And that's when, you know, me, Kia Nurse, Natalie Chanwa, Leticia Amma here now um, aren't with the team. So it's hard to get time all together. Um, but I think if we did have that time, I mean, we have all the players in place. We have, you know, the right programming. We have the right coaches. Um, it's just a matter of, you know, putting it all together at the right time. And obviously it takes a little bit of luck to be successful at that level. But I think we are right there. Um, and hopefully that's what we can do in uh, the next Olympics once we qualify. 
I predict, I know you just had your 26th birthday and happy birthday, by the way. I predict before you are 30, this is my hot take, that uh, Canada will will have meddled in a major international yes. competition. That is my my fearless prediction and hot take. I hope so. So, <laughs> so we'll see. Well, you can hold me to it. So now coming here to Minnesota, and, you know, it's a different type of season, obviously, for the Lynx. And Cheryl Reeves talked about during the offseason, in a lot of ways, this is a rebuild. And it's trying to figure out who you guys are. And I guess the place that I want to start is that that is, by definition, putting a premium on progress over wins and losses. You guys are trying to get the W, obviously, every time out there, but focusing on those individual things. Take me through, number one, how that allows you to potentially diversify your game, think about your game in perhaps a different way. And then I want to get into the way in which you as a young vet are leading for a team that's doing the same thing. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, anytime you lose one of the greatest of all time to retirement, um, it's going to be a bit of an adjustment, especially someone so dominant on both ends of the court as Sylvia was. Um, she was amazing to play with and we miss her so much, um, but we were very happy for her. Um, so yeah, I think it's just, it's definitely a learning process. Um, and we've seen, you know, of the course of the first five games, obviously hasn't been what we wanted it to be, but we've seen growth, um, in different areas over the course of these five games. Um, so we're on the right track, um, to figuring out what works for us. Um, obviously it's a new system. We don't have Sylvie Fowles in the paint anymore, um, to be able to go get us an easy bucket on a post up. Um, so it's who we look for in those moments. How do we get to be in the right spots to, to um, do some damage? How do we get Jess as a facilitator because she's so amazing at passing and basically being a point guard as a five? Um, yeah. And, you know, K-Mac getting, getting her threes off, Tiffany creating for others. Um, so it's been an adjustment for sure and we're all kind of figuring it out together. Um, and we have a really great group of women in the locker room that are willing to kind of go through the trenches and, you know, fight through this together. So um, we still believe and we're excited to see kind of where we can take it. And um, I think Cheryl made a joke. It's one of the best season to have 40 games. Um, there's lots of games left. Uh, we can turn this around. It's true. It's true. And it, again, it's not as if you guys haven't gotten off to slow starts in the past and rallied uh, significantly, uh, but also I, I think, and it's worth noting that this is something that doesn't necessarily come easily to players who get to the pros, that they haven't necessarily gone through ebb and flow. But I know you have in college, you know, I know there were there were ups and downs, uh, uh, you know, in terms of wins and losses at Iowa State. You know, I know Rachel Bannum, who, I, who you're friends with, has done the same thing. Have you guys talked about either between yourselves or with the locker room, some of those experiences and let them inform the way in which the team is uh, is working on everything? Yeah, for sure. Um, our rookies, Dorka and Diamond, they're definitely not used to losing <laughs> many games in their college careers. Um, but no, I think, you know, they have great mindsets to start with. Um, it's not like they need a lot of help, um, you know, having the right mindset every day coming into work. Um, they're both willing to learn and excited to learn and super competitive uh, rookies. So we love having them here and they're, they're super fun to be around um, and to play with. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, Obviously, you know, we want wins. That's at the end of, at the end of the day, that's our goal um, to get as many wins as possible. Um, but we know it's a process and we know it's not going to be perfect and um, not every day is going to be a good day. Um, so it's just a matter of, you know, stacking small successes and then hopefully eventually that does lead to wins down the road. Um, but yeah, that's kind of what our focus is, um, controlling what we can control as individuals and then as a team working as hard as we can to just become better and um, believe in our group, which which we do have that belief. So. Um, yeah, we're going to we're going to figure it out. Um, I'm, I really love being here. And obviously, 
this franchise has done so much in the past and we want to maintain that level of success. And specifically to those rookies, what have been your initial impressions on and off the court, you know, both with Dork and with Diamond? Oh, they're both amazing. Um, just good humans, first of all. Um, Diamond's just bright-eyed, so competitive, um, loves playing basketball. You can just tell her passion for the game every time she steps on the court. Um, and just super athletic. I mean, I hate guarding her. Um, I'm like, you run way too fast, especially in transition. Um, but yeah, she's going to be incredible once um, she kind of, you know, gets accustomed to the professional game. And and Dorka, you can tell she's experienced. Um, she knows kind of where to move when, kind of that intangible that's hard to teach. Um, she knows the, how to make the right play, um, especially at the five position. And she's got length and she's got the finishing ability. Um, so she's super fun to play with and to come off the bench with. And um, we're little cheer buddies uh, next to each other on the bench. And I just love having her um, with us. Uh, she's, again, always so willing to learn and um, just a great teammate too. So, yeah, both of them are really great. And they get along really well, which is great. Dorka obviously figured out when to, not just how to, when she was at UConn. And Diamond is from New Jersey, which is like the Canada of the United States, I guess is the way that I would put it. Um, I'm biased, obviously, from New Jersey, but that's how I feel about it. Well, here's your Carlton. It is always delightful to talk hoops with you on anything else. Uh, I am excited to see you guys figure it out, and people would wager against you at their peril. So thank you so much for your time. And to our listeners at home, thank you for being with us every day. As always, we'll be with you again Friday and Saturday, six days a week, covering women's basketball and we look forward to every second of it. So until then, I am Howard Magdal, wishing all of you a wonderful Thursday. Ogumba Wallet for the win. You are locked on women's basketball. Your daily podcast on women's basketball.